We are, uh, we are beginning a brand new series today that I, I'm looking forward to, and this is a series entitled Created for Good Works. And the theme of this series comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, where the writer of Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And so the heart behind this series and my hope for this series is that it's going to stir up each of us towards love and towards good works. Because the reality for the follower of Jesus is that good works are not only a part of our faith, but good works are an integral part of our faith. A proper life of faith cannot be separated from good works. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on in this series. And so if you were here over Easter, there was so many of you here over Easter. It was an incredible weekend together. We commemorated how God made a way for us to be redeemed and reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. And we celebrated Jesus' resurrection as the seal of God's work of reconciliation between him and humanity. And our main scripture over Easter weekend was 2 Corinthians 5.17. The old has passed, it says, and the new has come. And so with the old being passed, what happens is with the new that comes, we are not only saved from something, but we are also saved to something. And that to something is what we want to talk about in this series. I had said over Easter week, and I said the eternal salvation that we receive through reconciliation to God when we trust in him is not the solitary purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus died to reconcile us, and that is the best news ever. But we have been reconciled for a purpose. Right? I said on Easter Sunday, like we aren't just reconciled, and then we sit back and kind of enjoy life until we go to be with God in heaven. We don't just kind of watch as the world burns around us. We have work to do as followers of Christ. And so we are reconciled to Jesus for the purpose of good works. And we talked about just one of those good works on Easter weekend, which is the ministry of reconciliation, right? We've been reconciled to be reconciled. God has given us this message that we are to go and we are to implore and we are to, we are to plead with others, come to this Christ, come to know this Jesus and be reconciled to God. And so that's just one aspect of the good works that we've been called to. So my aim through this series is it's kind of the next progression in where we're going, kind of from where we've come back in January, and it's going to launch us into the rest of the series this year, because starting in January, we were in Genesis, right, and we were talking about how men and women were created for a purpose, and then rebellion occurred, and sin entered the world, and everything went wrong, and God put his plan of reconciliation into motion, and it is a plan that is still unfolding, and as far as we know, it's a plan that's going to continue unfolding for the next hundred or thousands of years. We don't know. Only God knows the timing of his plan, and God has saved us from something, from eternal separation from him, from sin and from death. And he saved us to something. And that something is good works in Jesus Christ. And we need to be encouraged into those good works. And so that is the focus of this series. And how we're going to do that is we're going to look at some of the heroes in God's word. 
and we're going to consider what marked their life. When we read about some of the men and we read about some of the women in Scripture, what is it that sticks out? What good works did they do in faith? And we're going to look at these examples of others because when you look at the examples of others, it increases your own faith. It spurs you on. Hey, if you look into the faithful men and women of the past, it's, it's exciting. Like, I love reading biographies about Christian men and women that came before me. It's encouraging to me to see what they did in faith in Jesus Christ. And, and this is what the writer of Hebrews, I think, has in mind when he says in Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stir one another up. Right? He wants us to look at one another as examples and kind of encourage each other. I think that's exactly his aim because right after he says, let us consider how to stir one another up, what does he do? He writes, or she, we don't know. He writes Hebrews chapter 11. And what is Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter 11 is called the hall of faith where the writer of Hebrews just lists all of these men and women and just keeps saying, in faith they accomplished this, in faith they did this, in faith God did this through them. And so the writer of Hebrews has this aim of like, look at those who have come before you and be encouraged and be stirred up in your faith. So this series is going to be part character study, and this series is going to be part a lifestyle study of what it means for followers of Jesus to walk in good works. And so as we begin to get into this series, I want to give you just a loving exhortation this morning, and that is this, that if I'm being faithful to God's word through this series, it should make all of us uncomfortable. Like, don't you love that you get to come to church and, like, you're comfortable walking in the door, but you get kind of uncomfortable in church when the Holy Spirit starts talking to you, and, and that's the hope of this series, is it should make us uncomfortable, because followers of Jesus... Do not grow when we're comfortable, right? So we want to be a little uncomfortable. And the ESV translation, when it says, let us consider how to stir up one another, honestly, that's a really nice translation uh, in relation to what the writers actually say. If we look at other English translations, they have a bit sharper translation that they use. Some of them use, let us incite one another. That's a little bit more harsh. Let us spur on one another. Now, who, who rides horses in here? Yeah, some of you do. Some of you are like, I don't want to put my hand up right now. But if you've ever rid a horse, then you know what it means to spur on a horse, right? You, you jab them in the side, and they move. It's not comfortable. And so the writer of Hebrews, when he says stir up, it's not kind of like, hey, like here's a gentle encouragement towards good works. He's like, let's consider how to cause one another just enough pain that we can't sit still. That's his idea. It kind of, I was thinking, I kept having this, uh, this picture in my mind this week, and some of you are in perfect locations. You can try this if you dare so. Uh, but it kind of reminds me of, you know, when you take, like, your fingers kind of in a karate chop or maybe a couple of them, and you just jab them into the side of the person next to you. Men especially will understand this, because, I don't know, we have this tendency of just wanting to, like, ah! <laughs> right? And the person next to you is like, oh! Right? And you just, like, you can't help but move. And that's kind of the picture that I have. <laughs> you can try it now, if you dare try it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Phyllis is like, thank you, Lord, I'm sitting on my own, nobody's next to me. 
Uh, but the sentiment that he has here, it kind of reminds me of Acts chapter 2. When Peter preached the very first sermon, in pa- Adam just got hit, first sermon in Pentecost, right? In Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter preaches this sermon about what happened to Jesus, about what the men and women did to Jesus. He says, you crucified him, right? And the response that he gets from the crowd we see in Acts 2.37, it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Right? They heard this message, and they couldn't help but respond, like, what do we need to do? And that's the idea that the, he, the writer of Hebrews has when he says, spur one another on. And so that's what I'm hoping the Holy Spirit does for us through this series. And so before we go any further, let's just pray for that. And some of you are like, I don't know if I want to pray for that. We're going to pray for that. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, and we thank you that your word is living and that it's active. Uh, Lord, we know that when we read your word, when we preach your word, when we hear your word, that uh, it convicts us, the reality of your word. It encourages us, it exhorts us, and it convicts us. And so, Father, I pray that through the preaching of your word and through the work of your Holy Spirit, you would spur us on as a church that we would be men and women that would be marked by good works uh, to the glory of your name and the good of those who you put in our path. And so, Lord, I ask that today and through this series that that you would stir us up. Do what only you can do in our hearts. It's going to be you that does it. And so we just lay ourselves before you and ask you to move. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we talk about good works... Sorry if I choke at any point. As we talk about good works, um, I understand, one of the things that I do understand is I understand there's going to be a variety of opinions around good works, and there may be a variety of emotions tied to this topic, and part of it is going to depend on your faith background. And so if you come from a more reformed background, good works will likely be a foundation of what you have been taught growing up in church, if you've been in church for a while. Um, they will be well taught to you. Yet there may be, generally, this this expectation attached to them where they fall slightly into this legalistic tilt. And so what can happen sometimes is everyone will say, you are not saved by good works. You are saved by faith alone. But then in some circles, there will be this tilt where good works are treated kind of as though they do save you. And so there's going to be a bit of a tilt that way. Now, some of us may have a tilt the other way, where if you come from a more charismatic background, and these are just generalizations, but if you come more of a charismatic background, the importance of good works may not have been taught in the same way. And some of you may view any good works, any expectation of good works, as legalistic in itself. And the activities that you pursue or you do in the Christian life may be more rooted in emotion rather than a sense of duty. And so everyone is going to land somewhere on this spectrum, and I understand that as we go through this series. And there will be emotions that rise up in us as we have a conversation about good works. And one of the main emotions that could rise up is a feeling of guilt. Like, there are going to be people in here that are going to be like, I'm guilty. I feel guilty because I'm not doing enough. 
right? And then there's going to be others in here who, as I talk about the, the duty and the responsibility of good works, you're going to shirk back from that because you grew up in kind of a legalistic place where you don't want to go back to that. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like any sort of talk about duty and expectation, you kind of go, okay, hold on, where are you going with this? And so we're going to have people on both sides of it. And wherever you land, just don't ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between guilt and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the reality is for all of us, wherever you land on this, the, the aim is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, 5.14. He says, be controlled by the love of Christ. That's what we looked at on Easter Sunday, that we are to be controlled by the love of Christ. We are not to do things out of a motivation of guilt. We are to do things out of this motivation of being controlled by the love of Jesus. And so may that be all of our motivations. Not, and I'm not talking love of feeling. I'm talking love is an action, right? In Scripture, love is an action. Jesus says in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we have to understand, wherever we land on the spectrum, whether you're maybe more reformed or more charismatic, like in many things, I think the perfect place to land, right down the middle. We can learn from both because good works are a duty of a follower of Christ. There is an expectation of obedience in our faith. We are to have good works that bear good fruit. And at the same time, good works should not just be a duty, but they should increase our faith. They should fill our hearts. They should bring joy to us as we do them in love. They're not empty actions, but they are life-giving responses to our Lord. So my aim in these messages is try to navigate right down the middle of that. Good luck. That's what we're aiming for. And so today, as we begin this conversation about good works, I just want to give you four statements about good works and unpack them with you. And then next week, we're going to start looking at specific people in the Bible and learning from them. And so statement number one is this. Good works are what we were created by God to do in Christ. That's amazing to me. And it comes directly from Ephesians 2, verse 10. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, notice the wording in that verse. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The most important word to understand Paul's meaning in that sentence is the word in. And I'll tell you why. Because in Christ Jesus, in Scripture, always means the new creation, what you become through faith in Jesus. And so what Paul is saying here is Paul is not referring to general creation in these verses. He says, we are God's workmanship in the sense that he has created all of us in our mother's womb in the same way that he created absolutely everything. But that is not Paul's focus here. Because when scripture speaks about general creation and Jesus' involvement in it, it talks about how God created everything through Jesus Christ. But here, Paul says, we have been created in Jesus Christ. And when God's word talks about being in Christ, it is referring specifically to a person who has been reconciled to God by their faith in Jesus. 
And so what Paul is saying is this, is that God, just like he made us in our mother's womb, God has remade us. He has recreated us. We are his workmanship the same way we were when he created us originally, but now he has created us new. The old has passed away. The new has come. It is the new creation that has been made in Christ that God made us specifically for good works. That's so cool. I think that's so cool. And we can take it further than that. Because Paul says, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. (laughs) That is a stunning statement when you think about that and what that means. God had already planned out the works that he has for you to do. He had already planned out the works that he has for me to do. He has them planned out beforehand, before we even come into his kingdom. Just imagine and consider the reality of that when you think about the history of Jesus' church over the last 2,000 plus years and what that means. The apostles, they follow Jesus. They come to faith in Jesus. They do the work that God has given them to do. Others come to faith, and God's like, here, here's the work that I prepared for you to do now that you're in Christ. And they're faithful in that, and it just goes from generation to generation to generation. God has given people good works that he had prepared for you. And when you come to faith, he goes, here you go. I had this for you. Go nuts. That's amazing. It is an incredible privilege that we have to be a part of that. It is a privilege that men and women of Christ have had for the last 2,000 plus years. And the thing is, we have free will. And here's where the tension comes in. Because the verse says, God prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's this, interesting tension that you always see in scripture. God prepared beforehand and we have a responsibility in our free will to walk in what he has prepared for us. And so we need to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us. Meaning it needs to be our way of life. So that's Statement number one, I think, is a glorious statement that God created you in Christ Jesus with works that he gave you, that you had ready for you before you came to Christ Jesus, and now you get to walk in them. Amazing. That is so purpose-filled. Statement number two, works do not save us, but are a confirmation of our salvation and are an inseparable part of new life. John Piper says it this way, anything we do in faith does not obtain justification. Only faith obtains the verdict of not guilty. However, works are necessary to confirm the reality of that faith which justifies us. The way that I would say it is this, is a claim of following Jesus without the evidence of works is an empty claim. And we can see that taught very clearly In the book of James, if we go to James, I'm going to read the whole section because I think it's so important. James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26, he writes this. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. That is such a convict. I mean, James entirely is a convicting book. It's just, you ever want to feel conviction, just read James. But that is a very convicting section of Scripture. What James is saying is that we cannot reduce our faith to a mere mental acceptance of Christ. And James highlights this in a very dramatic way in verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Now, what James is referring to here, which was, would probably be missed by us, is he is referring to something called the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Shema was a daily prayer in Israelite tradition. It was kind of their equivalent of the Lord's Prayer for followers of Jesus. And so the Shema is in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, and it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so that's why James is saying, you believe that God is one? You do well, because he's referring to the Shema. Because you have to remember, the book of James was written to Jews in the Diaspora, those Jews who were no longer in Israel. And so James says, you believe God is one? Good for you. So do the demons, and they shudder. Right? So James uses this, what Jews understood in their traditions, to say, just because you can recite something accurately... Just because you know something to be true doesn't mean faith is present. Because the demons know better than any of us that God is one and they are not saved. That's tough. It's quiet in here. <laughs> He's saying works are necessary to confirm this belief that we say that we have. James 2, 15 to 16, is, uh, the example he gives is so convicting. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Like, can you just imagine that? You, you walk by someone and they're, they're shivering and they're hungry, and your response to them is, well, be warm, be filled, good luck. Can you imagine it's like, that's not good enough. 
It says, in the same way, faith without works is dead. Then he gives the example of Abraham. He says, Abraham, his faith was proven when he was willing to put Isaac on the altar. Rahab's faith was proven when she helped the messengers. And he ends in in verse 26. He says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We understand that very clearly. When the body dies, the spirit leaves the body. The body's dead. Just in the same way, if works is apart from faith, it's dead. And so works do not save us, but works are a confirmation of the salvation, and they are inseparable to new life in Jesus Christ. Which brings us to statement number three. Statement number three is works are only pleasing to God when done in faith. It's another tough one. Jesus' church, here's the reality of our world. Jesus' church does not have monopoly on doing works. The world does works. There is generosity in the world. There is compassion in the world. The world helps orphans. The world helps widows, which James calls true religion. These are things that reflect God's heart. But here's the offensive truth about the works of the world. God finds them unacceptable. That is an offensive truth. You do all of these good things, and God says, I don't accept them. They mean nothing to me. We see this in Isaiah 64, verse 6. It says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. In the context of this passage, it is referring directly to the Israelites. In in Isaiah's time, the Israelites had strayed away from God. Uh, Isaiah is condemning the hypocrisy of his nation because they had received so many blessings from God, but they had turned away from him and they were worshiping idols. And at the same time, they had this illusion that of their own self-righteousness through their deeds. They thought, oh, we're we're okay because we're, we're still doing good deeds. But God did not accept their deeds because they had turned away from him. And he viewed their deeds as filthy rags. And this condemnation can rightly be applied to the whole world apart from Jesus Christ. Works of the world are about self-righteousness. They're about being a good person. And they are not acceptable to God. Because Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So works done apart from faith cannot please God because it is only in faith that we can please God. And works done in faith are no longer about self-righteousness, are no longer about being a good person, or at least they shouldn't be. The motivation is not trying to be a good person anymore. The motivation is something entirely different because if you've come to faith in Jesus, you know you're not a good person. God looks upon you and sees Christ's righteousness, and he accepts you and is by the blood of Christ that you are made clean, not by anything that you do. And so our motivation to good works is completely different. And we can see a glimpse of it in Colossians 3, 22 to 23, where Paul is speaking to bond servants. And you know what's so interesting about Paul speaking to bond servants here is that Paul calls himself a bond servant of Christ all the time. 
He calls himself a slave of Christ, right? We are slaves of Jesus if we follow him. And so Paul says here, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And this is the motivation of good works. We work as for the Lord. Good works are done now unto God. They are done out of this fear and this love and this desire to please him. And so our works are not about self-righteousness, not about good, being a good person. They are to the glory of God. They're like, God, I'm going to do these things for the glory of your name. That's what Jesus says, right? Let your light shine so that others may see right? Do good work so that people see your Father in heaven. Like, that is the motivation. When we are held and, con- and, and captured by the love of Jesus Christ, that is going to be the motivation of our works. Look at my Father. Look what he did for me. I want to do this for you guys. Look at him. He's incredible. And I want to do this because he's incredible, and I love him because he first loved me. And we make the Father's name great. Like, that's our life. That's our motivation. God, see him. Love him. Follow him. He's everything. That brings us to statement number four. Cool statement. Jesus promised that through belief in him, we would do great works. That's got to get you excited. Jesus said through belief in him, we would do great works. Not just good works, but great works. John 14, 12 says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Now, Jesus uses, at the beginning of this sentence, he uses the words truly, truly. And when Jesus uses the words truly, truly, it is the equivalent to us using the word amen at the end of a prayer. Amen basically means so be it. Like, let it happen. So that's what Jesus is saying. Let this happen. So be it. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater works will he do because I'm going to the Father. And he gives two qualifications for being able to do these great works. Qualification number one, you have to be a whoever. Yeah. Do we have any whoever's in here? We have, yeah, we're filled with whoever's. That's qualification number one. So what I want you to see there, Jesus is not talking specifically about his apostles. He says, whoever, not just the apostles, anybody, anybody can do these works. And the second need is believe in Jesus. So you need to be a whoever that believes in Jesus. And you can do the works that Jesus does. That's what he says. What are these works? And the verses before verse 12 give us the answer of what these works are. In this section of Scripture, Jesus is talking to Philip. Philip is struggling to believe. And Jesus says in verse 10 and 11, he says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on account of the works themselves. So, 
The works that Jesus is referring to are the works that he does to show that he was sent from his Father in heaven. That Jesus was sent from God. That God's power dwells in Jesus. You know, the the theme of proving that Jesus is from God is the theme of John's entire gospel. This is one of the reasons why John's gospel is the only one that includes the seven I am statements. And he pairs them with these miraculous works relating to each statement. And so what we need to understand as followers of Jesus is while uh, good works certainly means humility, generosity, mercy, all of these beautiful examples, we cannot limit what Jesus means to those things. The works that attest to Jesus being from the Father have to include supernatural works. That's just the reality of it. They have to include supernatural works because the work that attested to him being the bread of life was him feeding 5,000 people. The work that attested him being the resurrection and the life was raising Lazarus from the dead. It has to include supernatural works to be what he's talking about. And he doesn't just promise great works. He promises greater works than these will you do because I am going to the Father. What can he possibly mean by greater? Anybody feel like you're doing greater works than Jesus? Like, what do you mean by that? How are we going to do greater works than you? And part of it is that he says, because I am going to the Father. Well, what happened when Jesus went to the Father? The Holy Spirit came. Absolutely. And so that's absolutely part of what he means. When Jesus went to the Father, he told us what would happen. John 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so certainly part of this is the reality that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Each follower of Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit, the power of God, dwelling inside of you. This is the same power that rose Jesus from the grave on the third day. That's in us. That's pretty incredible to do good works. What else does he mean? Well, I think Jesus also means we'll do greater works in number. Why would that be? Look around you. Are there one of you here? Are there 12 of you here? No. There's so many more than that. And that's only one church. That's only one expression of Jesus' body. We're all over the place. We're going to do greater works because we're all over the place. There's so many of us to do these works, not just one man in one location. He knew his people would spread out all over the place to do incredible things for the kingdom of God. And so it means you'll do more in number because there's more of you to do the works. And last, I think he also means because of how long we have to do them. He was only here for three years. He did all of his works in three years. Think about the works of God that have happened over redemptive history. 2,000 plus years. How many incredible works have happened through the people of God and the Spirit of God working in us. Think about how much we can do in our lives, not just in three years, but hopefully he gives us long lives to work unto his name. Think about what's going to happen after we die. All of the works, like greater works will you do. 
It's amazing. And so next week, as we begin to dig into this a little bit more, we're going to look at just one example of one person doing good works unto the Lord. And my hope is that it will spur us on in our own lives, give us all a little jab in the side. I want to leave you with a growth step. And it's not going to come up on the screen, but I'm just going to give it to you, growth step. Uh, This week, in prayer, ask the Lord, what good works has he prepared beforehand for you to do that you maybe aren't walking in yet? Maybe because it's not time yet, or maybe because it is time, but you're lacking in obedience. And so what... Good works, Lord, have you prepared beforehand for me to do? And examine your obedience before the Lord. Are you walking in good works as we're called to walk in? Or is faith merely a mental assent to what is true about Jesus? And here's the thing. It will look different for each person depending on how long you've been a follower of Christ, depending on your past and what God has saved you from and brought you to, everyone will be in a different place. It shouldn't look the same. But in your relationship with the Lord, you will know what are the works that you have for me, God. What, it, what does it look like in my life? Not anybody else's, mine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, I thank you so much for what you have done on the behalf of all of your people, every single person sitting here, every person in this community, in this nation that's gathering right now in churches to lift up your name. God, you have not only saved us, but you have given us purpose. God, you have saved us to good works that you prepared for us beforehand that we get to walk in. What a privilege that you give to your people. And so, Father, I pray that each and every one of us, we would be motivated to walk in those good works, not out of a sense of guilt, but out of a sense of being controlled by the love of Christ, understanding that there is nothing better in this world than walking in the purposes and the plans that you have for our lives, that there is nothing more fulfilling than working for the kingdom of God. Father, may we not try to build our own little kingdoms here on earth, but may we build your kingdom, whether it be through how we raise our children, how we work in our workplaces, how we serve in our church, how we live in our community. God, may it just be this light that shines unto the glory of your name so that you would get all of the glory and that people would come to see you as the almighty and great king that you are. Lord, I truly pray that you would Help us to see that this is a privilege that we have in Christ. Help us to walk in those good works that you've prepared for us beforehand. In Jesus' name, amen.